You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Wednesday, May 4th. Today we're talking about how researchers have struggled to quantify in real time how much carbon dioxide humans spout. Lockdowns presented a unique opportunity to get a clearer picture. Before we get into today's top story, remember to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Business, the Pentagon needs nerds to win the next war. Checking in on wired science, you can tell a lot about a tree by its sway, so scientists are outfitting them with Fitbits, of sorts. And on wired security, we look at how Hollywood's fight against VPNs is getting ugly. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com podcasts. Think of the sky as a big bowl of blue soup. Its ingredients include oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide, which scientists can precisely measure. But ever since the Industrial Revolution, humans have been adding heaps of extra CO2 by burning fossil fuels, warming the planet 1.2 degrees Celsius so far and complicating those calculations. While it's easy enough to know how much total CO2 is in that atmospheric soup, it's difficult to parse how much humanity is adding at any given time. That's because Earth's natural processes also create the gas, and because there are such a multitude of sources for civilization's own emissions, some of which grow or wane by the hour. It would be like throwing dashes of salt into actual soup and then trying to count precisely how many grains went in after they hit the liquid. What atmospheric scientists can do, though, is make an inventory, a bottom-up effort to exhaustively count skybound CO2 as it's produced on Earth. For example, they can add up how much gasoline is being burned and how many fossil fuel power plants are running at a given time to calculate how much carbon is being exhaled into the atmosphere. While quite accurate, all that inventorying takes time, largely because some data is slow to trickle in, and timeliness matters when taking action on climate change because we need to identify sources of CO2 and eliminate them as quickly as possible, for instance by replacing coal with renewables, gasoline cars with electric vehicles, and gas furnaces with heat pumps. You might be wondering why researchers can't take a more top-down approach, training satellites on spots on the planet and measuring the CO2 coming off them, It's been tried on certain parts of the globe, for example, when a NASA satellite took readings over the Los Angeles basin, but there are a few issues. Air mixes, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly where emissions came from. Another is that it can be hard to pick out humanity's emissions from the CO2 created by Earth's natural carbon cycle. 
When plants photosynthesize, they suck in carbon and lock it in their tissues and in turn expel oxygen. When they die and rot, that carbon is emitted again. But now the COVID-19 pandemic has, oddly enough, helped give scientists a better top-down tool for estimating minute changes in fossil fuel emissions. A team of researchers used the UK's Coastal Wayborne Atmospheric Observatory to test air for carbon dioxide and oxygen separately, then summed the measurements together. Then they used a trick called Atmospheric Potential Oxygen, or APO, which calculates the imbalance between oxygen and CO2 from fossil fuel emissions. The key to separating natural and human-caused emissions is the ratio between CO2 and oxygen. Plants process both in a one-to-one ratio. They absorb the same amount of carbon dioxide as the oxygen they expel, so the totals cancel each other out. Burning fossil fuels, on the other hand, consumes more oxygen than it produces CO2. When fossil fuel emissions suddenly and dramatically declined during the pandemic, it gave the researchers a unique opportunity to test how well APO can tease out where CO2 comes from. Lockdowns created obvious dips in human-made emissions, while natural emissions stayed constant, and they reckoned their tools should be able to tell them apart. The Weybourne Atmospheric Observatory is a weather station on England's North Norfolk coast, which tracks meteorological conditions like humidity and temperature, and samples a range of gases beyond CO2 and oxygen, like nitrous oxide. The researchers used a decade's worth of atmospheric measurements to train a machine-learning model. This learned under what conditions, like wind speed and direction, fossil fuel emissions had been high or low, plus where those air masses came from and what areas of land they interacted with. And then we can see what emissions might have interacted with that air mass, says Penelope Pickers, an atmospheric scientist at University of East Anglia and lead author of a new paper describing the work in the journal Science Advances. So when it arrives on site, if we can separate out the fossil fuel and the natural CO2 using APO, then we can say what the recent emissions have been. To validate APO as a tracer for fossil fuel CO2, Pickers and her colleagues then used the algorithm, trained on the observatory's pre-pandemic measurements, to predict what those emissions levels would have been without two pandemic lockdowns, one between March and July 2020 and another between November 2020 and January 2021. Then they compared these predictions with the actual APO data they collected during the slowdowns. The difference estimated how far emissions dropped during the pandemic, giving a result comparable to ones found with other estimation techniques like those based on known energy usage. In this way, the researchers demonstrated that APO accurately detected when atmospheric CO2 from fossil fuels dipped during those two time periods. The atmosphere sees both the fossil fuel CO2 changes and CO2 changes from vegetation and the terrestrial carbon cycle and ocean uptake, says Stephen Smith, principal investigator of the Community Emissions Data System at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, who wasn't involved in the new research. And this method is interesting because it does isolate out that effect. APO can't differentiate the exact sources of anthropogenic CO2 emissions. For example, it can't discern between those that come from cars versus power plants. It can parse the emissions in a certain geographic area, so this technique could be used at other ground-based observatories to determine how local emissions change in near real-time, like after better car emission standards are introduced. In my opinion, this is a really, really interesting paper, says Joshua Loeffner, who studies atmospheric carbon at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He was not involved in the new research, and his opinion is not that of NASA nor JPL. I like what they're doing with this idea of combining CO2 and O2 measurements because this problem of separating out the biosphere signal and the human signal is one that we've tried to solve or try to approach a lot of different ways, and I think this is a really clever approach. 
APO is not meant to replace other ways of calculating emissions, but to complement them. Each technique has its pros and cons. Satellites are expensive, but they can zoom in on any spot on Earth. Bottom-up inventories can be slow, but they do an excellent job of accounting for emissions, and can differentiate those derived from different fuels, unlike APO. And while the APO approach gets closer to real-time monitoring than inventorying does, it requires an observatory to collect it, making it more regional than satellite imaging, at least for the time being. Ground-based measurements always have this particular challenge when compared to satellites, says Northern Arizona University climate scientist Kevin Gurney, whose own platform, Vulcan, uses census, traffic, and other data to accurately quantify emissions. He wasn't involved in this new research. But there's no reason that you couldn't increase the number of ground-based measurements and locate them strategically and densely to carefully isolate countries or regions. This kind of work is important, says Gurney, because we have to know where the carbon is coming from before we can get rid of it. Accuracy just gives you a better sense of prioritization of what you're going to tackle, says Gurney. Once mitigation is in place, say a city starts a program to reduce energy waste by insulating buildings, monitoring emissions in real time will help officials determine if it's working or not and adapt accordingly. You want to track it because if it goes off the rails, you want to know as soon as possible, says Gurney. There is no one technique to rule them all. A network of APO observatories could join satellite monitoring and good old inventories to build a better picture of how the carbon soup in the sky is changing. We already actually have quite a good observatory network across some parts of the world, says Pickers. Having information quickly at the relevant scales for how the change in emissions is occurring is really important if we want to be successful at reducing our emissions. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.